0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. By the blood of Jesus, we are brothers in Christ. What a blessing. I want you to turn to the thank you note in the New Testament, Philippians. Paul writes a thank you note for the help that they sent him while he was in prison. Philippi was the first church, or the church of Philippi, was the first church that Paul founded in Europe on his second missionary journey according to Acts chapter 16. And Paul is in prison, and the Philippians sent him a love gift, an offering And it was delivered by Epaphroditus. And so Paul takes the time to write this to send back to them through Epaphroditus a note of thanksgiving to acknowledge that financial gift. It's also a note to urge the believers to put aside any animosity and to forgive and be unified. He also warns them against false teaching, and also expounds on the life of victory in Jesus Christ. It is a joyful letter. It's probably the most personal letter that he writes in the New Testament. And so you're going to find a lot of joy in the Christian life, and it's interesting, Paul's in prison. He's sitting in prison, he's chained to a guard, and he's writing about joy. Now how do you do that? How do you have joy in the midst of that? You'll read about it this week. It won't take you long to read four chapters, but, but but savor each verse. Read it slowly. Maybe you ought to read it every day. You can read four chapters every day and get the gist of it. I want to start chapter four, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. A man lived on the border of Wisconsin and Minnesota. All those many years he thought he lived in Minnesota until the state did a survey. And it turns out that the man actually lived in Wisconsin And they went and told him that he didn't live in Minnesota anymore, that he lived in Wisconsin. And he said, Thank goodness, I never could stand those cold Minnesota winters. (laughs) Nothing will steal your happiness like comparison. And yet, we continually compare ourselves to other people, other people's circumstances. Comparison is not to be confused with the desire in us to better ourselves, to educate ourselves, to move up in society, if you wanna call it that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're not like someone else, or you don't have what they have, or you're not in the circumstances that they're in. Well, comparison is an attitude of dissatisfaction with God's provision in our lives, and it's an obsession with having more always wanting more, which is dangerous in itself. The Bible calls that covetousness. When that's all you can think about is I've got to have this or I want that or I want that, that leads to all kinds of problems, such as idolatry or adultery or theft or murder. Patrick Henry shouted, give me liberty or give me death. The following generation said, give me liberty. This generation that we live in now or this society that we live in basically just says, give me, give me. Contentment can be elusive. People think, if I just can get something, if I can buy this or I can have that or I can know this or live there, then I will be happy, but then when they get there or they have it or they know them, They find out it really wasn't all that great. In fact, they're not as happy as they were before they started in the process. It's like the story of two teardrops floating down the river of life. One teardrop said to the other, who are you? It it said, I'm a teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. Who are you? I'm the teardrop from the girl who got him. You finally get it, and you're not all that happy. I mentioned to you, Paul is writing a thank you note, expressing it, but at the same time, he doesn't want them to think that the Lord hasn't been sufficient for him. In fact, he goes on to say, you know, I I, I thank you for the gift, and it came at a great time, and I know God has used you, but I don't want you to think for a moment that Christ has not been sufficient for me. So it's not that he's ungrateful. He just wants them to know that He wasn't dependent on that gift to make him happy, to make him content. What does contentment mean? It's an inner sense of rest or peace. An inner sense of peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of your life. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, he's in control of your life. So Paul gives us a path here. Let's talk about it. First, notice the source of the Christian's contentment. You'll notice in verse 11, he said, I have learned. I know from experience. I have experienced this. I've gone through it. I've learned to be content. And the word content means contained, to be It's a description of a person whose resources are strong enough within them that they don't have to depend on outward substitutes. No matter what happens, I have peace in my heart with God. I am content, I know. It comes from spiritual security. Now you'll notice several things that Paul mentions. He said, first of all, my contentment is in Christ, not in what happens. It's not in my circumstances. Paul is not a victim of his circumstances. He's a victor over his circumstances. If his contentment was based on circumstances, he never would have been content. You read in the book of Acts alone and see what happened to him. In chapter nine, the Jews in Damascus plotted to kill him. In chapter 14 of Acts, Jews from Antioch and Iconium stoned him, and left him for dead. In chapter 16, a multitude beat him with rods and threw him into jail. In chapter 17, they stirred up the crowds against him. In chapter 20, they plotted against him. Paul never really had that many great circumstances. I mean, he could have written, gloom, despair, and agony on me. How could he do it? Because earlier in chapter 1, he wrote, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. What are your circumstances? They're all different. Some of you right now are in difficult circumstances. Some of you are in wonderful circumstances. But they don't ever last that. They don't ever stay that way. I read a story about a Jewish man in Budapest who went to his rabbi and he complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? And the rabbi said, take your goat in the room with you. Well, the man was incredulous. He said, no, I'm serious. Do as I say, take your goat in the room and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned. He looked more distraught than ever. He said, we can't stand it. That goat is filthy. He stinks. He's trouble." Rabbi said, go home and let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, the man returned. He was radiant. He was exclaiming. He said, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it. Now there's no goat. There's only nine of us in the room. <laughs> well, really and truly, that's true. I mean, we think about, we think about how bad it is My dad told me one time when I was younger, he said if we could pile all of our problems in in the center of the room and you could pick any of them you wanted, you would look around and pick up your own and go back home with them. Your contentment will never be found in your circumstances. He also said my contentment's in Christ, not in what we have. I know, he said, I know, which speaks of experience by experiential knowledge. I know how to be abased. Abased means to be in poverty. It's a lowly station for Christ's sake. It means to be without. He said, I know what that's like. It's the same word reflected in chapter 2 where it says Jesus emptied himself to become one of us, to become a man. He said, I know what it's like not to have anything. He also said, I know what it's like to abound, to have an overabundance, to overflow. It suggests prosperity. Could very well have meant before he was saved, before he met Jesus when he was a rabbi, he could very well have been wealthy. He said, I know what it's like to live in wealth. I know what it's like to live with nothing. In fact, I like the way the Amplified Version translates it. It says, I know how to be abased and live humbly in stricken circumstances. I know how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I've learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every situation, whether well fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency or to spare, or going without and being in want. Have you noticed that we never seem to be satisfied? There's nothing wrong with getting new things. Don't misunderstand me. But some people live just to have more and more and more and more. And if they don't have it, they don't think they'll ever be happy. Charles Spurgeon tells a story or told the story about a bankrupt man who said he had been ruined by a new sofa. He said that sofa was the bad beginning. It was too fine for me and my house. It made my old chairs and table look awful. So I bought new ones. Then the curtains had to be replaced. The furniture in the other rooms was sold and new articles were bought to correspond with what we had in the parlor. And soon we found that the house was not good enough for the furniture, so we moved into a larger one. And here I am now bankrupt. Sort of a non-ending cycle. Contentment does not come from material prosperity. It comes from spiritual security. If contentment came from material prosperity, we would think that the richest people on earth would be the most content. But are they? They don't appear to be. They're always looking for something. I've always been amazed at people who could buy anything they wanted. These are people without Jesus, obviously. They could buy anything they wanted and they take drugs and become alcoholics and their families break up and they find out that there's just not, it's just not out there. It's not always in something new. An executive for a couple of weeks came home from work and he had all kinds of aches and pains. He could, they could not figure out what was wrong with him and we went on for a couple of weeks. And finally one day he came home and he said, I found out what's been causing all my aches and pains. And wife said, what is it? He said, well, we got some of that ultra modern office furniture. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that ultra modern furniture? He said, we got that two weeks ago and I found out today I've been sitting in a wastebasket. <laughs> <laughs> New is not always better. To be content is the opposite of being covetous, to be greedy. It means to be worldly, to be materialistic. Sometimes it leads to the demise of the family. Someone put it this way, the United States, stay with me, the United States is the only country where a housewife hires a woman to do her cleaning so she can do volunteer work at the nursery where the cleaning woman leaves her child. you'll get that after lunch (laughs) a man came to his pastor he said pastor i'm having financial collapse i've lost everything and the pastor said i'm sorry to hear that you've lost your faith well no I, i i didn't lose my faith well i'm sad to hear you've lost your character well no no i didn't lose my character well i'm sorry that you've lost your salvation that's not what i said pastor I haven't lost my salvation. And pastor said, well, you have your faith, you have your character, you have your salvation. Seems to me you haven't lost the things that really matter in life. It's not the material things we have. You hear me say every Sunday that everything we have belongs to God. It's his, it's his. John Stott wrote, contentment is the secret of inward peace. It remembers the stark truth We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Life, in fact, is a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. So we should travel light, live simply. Our enemy is not possessions, but excess. Our battle cry is not nothing, but enough. We've got enough. Simplicity says if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. For the Christian, contentment knows that if we have Jesus, we have enough. Paul also said it's in Christ, not in who we know, our friendship. The word content, I've already mentioned to you, means entirely self-sufficient and self-contained. It describes a person who is sufficient apart from the relationships with other people. Now, don't misunderstand. Paul loved his friends, and Paul had a knack for making friends wherever he went but Paul was not dependent on those friends to make him content. Contentment has learned the lesson that Jesus is enough. It's not who you know and who you get to run around with and who notices you and who doesn't pay compliments to you and so forth. Friends are wonderful, but i want to tell you, friends can let you down. Friends are gonna make mistakes. Friends are not perfect. So your walk with Jesus can't be dependent on another person. It's got to be from within with Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you have a God who loves you. You have the power of love behind you. You have the Holy Spirit within you and all of heaven ahead of you. You can be content no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the material things, no matter who or who does not like you. But how does Paul do that? It's in verse 13. And this is one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in all the Bible. Have you ever seen a picture, not a picture, a sign in a, a storefront back when we had repair shops? Some of you are too young to remember this, but there were repair shops that had signs that said, we fix anything. Does it, was that true? No. No. Because you take something in there and say, sorry, we don't fix this. But you said you fix anything. It's a little preposterous, it's a little pretentious. And so, Paul here says, I can do all things. What in the world does he mean? Here's the scope of, our, of a Christian's capability. What does this mean? What is the scope here? What does all things mean? Because you hear people say things. I can do anything, whatever I feel like doing, God's gonna give me the power to do it right there. It says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll give you an example. I'm not gonna call his name. I shouldn't have any at o'clock, but you know who I'm talking about, he smiles a lot. And he is pastor of one of the largest churches in America. I'm going to quote him. J-O are his initials. (laughs) This is a quote on Philippians 4.13, January 21st, 2013. In the edition of his Today's World Devotional. So I'll let you decide for yourself. Quote. Most people tend to magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings, but Scripture makes it plain. All things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It's possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It's possible to overcome that obstacle. It's possible to climb to new heights. It's possible to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will all take place. You may not have a plan, but all you have to know is that God said you can, you can Is that what that verse means? No, it's not what it means. Not with responsible interpretation and hermeneutics because that's pulled out of context. Paul just said, I know how to do this and I know how not to do this and I know how to do without this. How can I do it? I can do all things. All the things he just mentioned is what he's talking about. Pastor Brian Yawn, a Tennessee pastor, said all things might disappoint contemporary Christians because the actual point is even more glorious. He said it gets us much closer to grace. We normally take it to mean like this. I can do anything if I set my mind to it and simply believe. I can achieve any personal goal. I can get this job. I can win this game. I can ace this test. But the the verse has little or nothing to do with our personal achievement. It's about Christ's achievement and constant dependence on him regardless of our circumstances. He goes on to point the danger of wrongly applying this. What if you can't do it? What if it doesn't happen? What if you really believed and it didn't happen? Does that mean that God didn't love you? Does that mean that you, you call into question the goodness of God? No, it's because it's taken out of context. I've always wanted to fly. It ain't gonna happen. I'm not talking about in a plane, I'm talking about I wanna fly. So if I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I jump off a building and I kill myself and the first thing Jesus is gonna say, you idiot. No, he's not gonna say that. You you, you misunderstood that verse, David. That's not what it means. It means I can fail to achieve my goals and I can still trust the Savior's love. It means I can have cancer or I can lose everything or I can be fired. I can do all this because of who Jesus is in my life. It's the unpredictable swings of life which Paul says I can traverse with the work of Jesus and the power of Jesus in my life. I can hang in there because of Christ who strengthens me. The word can do literally means to have power. And Paul only uses this word two times. It's used 28 times in the New Testament. He's able to undergo every trial, suffering to overcome temptation, to perform every task. And a lot of people say, well, I can't do this anymore. I can't go through it anymore. God, I'm done. Yes, you can do this. You can do. I can be abased. I can abound. I can do without because of Christ who strengthens me. Michelle Baldwin in Brooklyn, New York wrote, one afternoon my five-year-old daughter, Faith, and her preschool brother, Alfred, were doing, quote, homework. Alfred had a habit of saying phrases like, I can't, or I don't know how. This particular afternoon, Faith responded with a Bible verse she had learned at school. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Alfred said, then you do it. (laughs) No, you can do this through Jesus Christ. In Genesis 17, God told Moses, you're going to deliver my people. What's the first thing Moses said? I can't. I can't, I can't speak. I have no authority, I don't know the way. And God said, Moses, you missed the point. I didn't say you were going to do it. I said, we will do it together. Joshua, when he was going into the promised land, I wonder what, if he questioned God's, when God said, Joshua, you're gonna take the walls, of Jer- the, the walls of Jericho are gonna come down, but here's how you're gonna do it. And he told him to watch around it and so forth. Can you imagine Joshua going, how in the world is that gonna happen? God said, I'm going to do it. And you're wondering, what am I capable of? You are capable of doing all that God wants you to do and allows to happen in your life. You are capable of going through this because of Christ, the inner strength that you have. It's not positive thinking. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's move on to the third point, the secret of the Christian's confidence. Paul said, I can do this, but he puts that qualifying phrase through Christ. I don't do this on my own. I do it through Christ who strengthens me. He gives us the power to cope. He gives us the the, the power to enjoy contentment regardless of our circumstances. He gives that inner peace who strengthens me. It means to infuse strength, to pour into another container. You've, some of you, you know what an IV is in the hospital. They put into you the nutrients or the medicines that your body needs. It's infusing into you. Paul said, Jesus Christ infuses the strength in me that I need Jesus said in John 15 I am the vine you're the branches he that abides in me I in him the same brings forth much fruit for without me for without me for without me you can do what nothing nothing in Galatians 2:20 he said I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me It is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure You can Henry Blackaby said, when you believe that nothing significant can happen through you, you've said more about your belief in God than you have said about yourself. Some of you are thinking, I can't go on anymore. Yeah, you can. You can't without Jesus, but with Jesus, you can. Oh, I can't endure this situation anymore. I can't can't forgive. I can't love. I can't go on. I can't. I can't. I can't. But Jesus says, yes, you can. With my strength, I'll give you the strength. You've got to be obedient to me. I'll give you the strength. The power of God. Who is Jesus to you? That's the bottom line. Who is Jesus to you? What does Jesus mean to you? He's the first and last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was. He always is. He always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He has risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world cannot understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees could not confuse him. And the people could not hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The new age can't replace him. And talk shows cannot explain him away. He is light, love, longevity, and the Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and His mind is on you and me. He is my Redeemer. He's my Savior. He is our guide. He is our peace. He is our joy. He's our comfort. He's my Lord. He rules our life. I serve him because his bond is love. His burden is light. His goal for me is abundant life. I follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of the overcomers and the sovereign Lord of all that was and is and is to come. And if that seems to impress you, If that seems impressive to you, try this on for size. His goal is a relationship with you and me. He will never leave me, never forsake me, never mislead me, never forget me, never overlook me, and never cancel my appointment in his appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he's the way. When I'm afraid, he's my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He's everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his and he is mine. My father in heaven has whipped the God of this world. So if you're wondering why I feel so secure and understand this, he said it. And that settles it. God is in control. I'm on his side. And that means all is well with my soul. I can do, do and endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can't do it without Jesus. Look around you. Look around the world. Such miserable people. Oh, they blame everything. They blame their circumstances. They blame what they don't have. Maybe they blame what they do have. They're empty. There's a void. They're looking for it. They try fame, it doesn't pay. They, they try material things, it doesn't, it doesn't satisfy. They, they always think it's somebody else's fault. They always think if somebody else would do this or I could have that. And, and, and they're just victims all the time. And the reason they are is because they're empty on the inside. And when you don't know Jesus, you can't do this. Years ago, On New Year's Day, in the Rose Parade, there was a beautiful float that suddenly sputtered to a stop and couldn't go any further. It was out of gas. The amusing thing was that this float represented the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) And they ran out of gas. Christians sometimes neglect their spiritual maintenance. We're told that we're clothed with power, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. We can go on. That doesn't mean we won't suffer. It doesn't mean we won't cry. It doesn't mean we won't grieve. Folks, this world is full of heartache, it's cursed. One of these days we're going home and there won't be any more of this. But right now, we're here. And we're going through life, and life isn't always wonderful. That doesn't mean you lose your peace. And it doesn't mean you lose your joy and the power you can endure. Some of you have been saved. You've come to know Jesus because you watched other people walk through such difficult times in their life and you wondered how in the world did they cope because of Jesus. And your life can impact others also. But if you don't know him, you can be as religious as the day is long and still be as empty as a boxcar, a BB in a boxcar. There's so many religions in the world, so many religious people in the world, so many miserable people in the world. Only when you know Jesus. If you don't know him, how do you do that? You don't have to join our church. You don't have to be a Baptist. But you have to turn from your sin and realize that your sin has separated you from God and you're absolutely hopeless without him. And that God in his love and his grace and his mercy provided a way for us to be saved. It's a great word. Jesus Christ abased himself. Same word. Emptied himself. Became one of us. Lived a perfect life. Never sinned. Tempted just like you and me but never sinned. Willfully paid the price. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus died. But unlike us, he died without sin. God put on him the sins of the world. He had not sinned himself, but God transferred our sins on him and he died and conquered death. Took the stinger right out of it. Conquered death and sin paid the price. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus you will be saved. Not might. Not hopefully. You will be saved. And if you're not I cannot begin to fathom why people don't come to Jesus. When you have no hope, he's our only hope. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, please bring people to you. I pray even now they would respond to you by asking God to forgive them and placing their faith and trust in you. And Lord, I, I pray for the believers in this room. Please forgive us for all our whining and complaining. And Lord, I know sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we just need to complain to a friend. But I pray, Father, that you would help them see, help us see, you're right there. You never leave us, you give us the power, you infuse strength. I pray you'll infuse strength into people, courage, stamina, perseverance, a new outlook, whatever it takes, Lord, to help them keep on, keeping on for you, not to quit. I pray for those who need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, you send them. I pray for those who need to be baptized like this young person today to give them courage and strength and be unashamed to stand up for Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's hard for us to imagine Paul sitting in prison, being so grateful, so content. Lord, I pray you'll break people free of the prison of their sin today. Put peace in their heart, bring them to you. There are pastors at the front to pray with you as you come today. That tug at your heart is the Holy Spirit telling you you need to do something. If you need one of these pastors to pray with you and talk with you, or we've got some rooms to sit down and visit with you about knowing Jesus or any other commitment on your heart, maybe God wants you to be a part of Southcrest. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe he's calling you into special service. Maybe there's something else in your heart. You just need somebody to pray with you so give me just a couple more minutes would you quietly stand would you keep your heads bowed and as the Holy Spirit leads you to come would you come right now these guys are looking for you they'll pray with you you come right now if you're watching us online you hit that connect button and somebody will help you right now or you text the phrase living hope no space living hope to 474747. Give us the information and we'll call you and talk to you about your commandment to Christ. You come as the Holy Spirit leads you. wait just a moment longer. It's not too late for you to come. The Holy Spirit is leading you to come. You come on right now. You can respond to Him. If nothing else, just thank God that He's given you peace and joy that the world did not have. You can through Christ His strength. seat pockets in front of you is a communication card you can indicate a decision on that card sometimes it's hard for people to walk down in front of everybody i understand that you can use that connection that communication card and, and share with us the decision you're making drop it in the box as you leave and we'll call you our first response is a telephone call or you can text us living hope at 474747 or these pastors will be here for a few moments after we're dismissed. You'd come talk with one of them. I don't know how to make it any easier except come grab you by the shirt collar and say, <laughs> would you do that? No, but I don't know who those people are. I'll be, I'll be in the hospitality room, out the door, that direction. And I'd love to meet you if you're our guest. I'd love to meet you. I'd, if there's no guest coming in there, I'll step out in the hall. But if a guest comes, come on in that room. I've got something I want to give you. A couple of quick things. Next Sunday, July 4th, we're having church, all three services. No Sunday school. No Sunday school next week. So the only childcare is the preschool area at 930. There's no big gig. It's just three services. But we are having a church next Sunday, July the 4th. Uh, today's the last day to sign up for children's camp. Most of you I see in here are too old for children's camp, but you may have a, a child that can go. Now, this is up through the fourth grade going to Floyd Aida. This is not the group going to Lone Tree. They're the fifth and sixth graders, the preteens. They're going to Fort Lone Tree, but there's a camp coming up. It's in the bulletin. You've got the information. Today's the last day to bid on that quilt. The money that comes from that quilt that these ladies of the church made goes back to missions, so it's not going in their pockets. It's going back to help the mission causes here. I wanna thank you for being here today. You can, you can endure, you can be strong, you can keep going because of Christ who lives in you. You can't do it on your own, but you can through Jesus Christ. Spend a little time with him. Read something out of his word. Spend a little time. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.